<laughs> I actually put a lot of thought into this because I, it, it, like you, I, I kind of looked at it and was like, man, that's going to be like a real, uh, real nipple clamp of a, <laughs> a matchup. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hey. And uh, today we're going to be continuing our bracket for the best of the decade, uh, the 2010s. We're going to the East region. Uh, Several more difficult matchups today. Um, Although on this one, I didn't watch as many movies. I had, I kind of, I kind of felt like I knew where I was going with, with some of these. Yeah, so, interesting. The only There's thing a couple I, of matchups that uh, that I think are incredibly difficult. Right. There was only one movie that I rewatched, and it's because I had not seen it in an embarrassingly long time, and that was The Raid Two. Oh uh, wow! <laughs> um, so yes, even these movies that are fantastic, sometimes years go by for me before I have seen them uh, a second time. So. Uh, or a third time. This would have been a third time, but uh, but yeah, um, we'll get right into it. We we again will be doing our remote stuff during this uh, coronavirus stuff, and this is going to be the normal for a while. So if there's anything, I don't think anybody said anything for this last uh, this last one that we did. That matter of fact, we got a lot of good comments. Uh, you know, a lot of stay safe and all that stuff, and of course. All you listeners, please stay safe and shelter at home if you if you can. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think everybody's okay with it, and uh, we'll we'll keep on plugging like this, and then eventually we'll get back in the studio and uh, and rub each other with oh, our hands. Oh man, it's gonna and be our toes. Wet. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna it's be, gonna be lit. very moist. Chris is going to turn up the, like the humidity in the studio. Not the only thing I'll be turning up. Uh, we're going to have like uh, instead of mud wrestling, it'll be like uh, aloe disinfectant wrestling mm-hmm. in, in yeah. the studio. Sexy. Uh, it's going to be contestants gonna must be shower twice before entering <laughs> entering the aloe. Uh, um, all right, so let's get into the East Region. Uh, let's start off with number one seed Inception versus Ooh. the number eight seed Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Thought provoking. I yeah. did rewatch uh, into the Spider-Verse uh, recently because it's on Netflix and it's, you know, easily obtainable. And I think uh, if we can start with that one, like I think the, the best parts of that movie are absolutely the coming of age stuff and not the Kingpin stuff and even the Doc Ock stuff and even the interdimensional stuff. It's totally Miles Morales, like you know, figuring out his powers. I think the, the, the time where he's figuring out his powers where there's those little like uh, dialogue bubbles and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's every bit as good as the Tobey Maguire one or any of the ones that have come since. Uh, of course we didn't see the origin story for uh, the Tom Holland one. But uh, it's it's absolutely delightful. The stuff with 
him and uh, and Gwen when they first met, and he does the shoulder touch. He's like, "Hey, <laughs> that's just that's it's gold to me." Now the rest of it is awesome. It's really really good, but that stuff is is like the heart of the movie. I think. Yeah, I mean, I would I would be just as happy to watch um, this Miles Morales in many more adventures, animated, live action, you know, what have you. It's uh, there's an element of that thrill of discovery right like mm-hmm. he's learning his powers and then that that whole what's up danger scene when he embraces that you know leap of faith and everything uh and that is that is very reminiscent for me to the toby Maguire, that first sam raimi one where he's mm-hmm. learning and figuring out his powers and he's like go web and he's doing all those hand motions <laughs> um and there's something missing there when you do like the Tom Holland ones have and you skip over that. Of course, we've seen Spider-Man's origin so many times. Yeah. Maybe we don't need to see it. And in fact, even Spider-Verse isn't showing us Peter Parker's origin again. It's showing us Miles Morales. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I think for all the dynamic uh, ideas, interdimension stuff, uh, and the cool visuals, what gets me is the family stuff. Him and his dad, mm-hmm. him and his uncle. <laughs> Uh, finding out who his uncle really is. All that stuff is, I think, what makes the movie uh, impact. I, that I love you scene is so classic where he's he's in the cop car. Yeah. And he's, he's just staring him down. He's like, uh, I'm not going to leave until you, <laughs> until you say it back. And he's like, I love you. And he's like, copy that. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I, this is one that I probably should have rewatched before this and everything. Um, but, uh, but I, again, I, I remember it being awesome. So, uh, it's, it's, it's again, we go, we, what do we talk about when we talk about Spider-Verse a lot of times is the animation style is so completely different. Uh, and, uh, and the, the script is so smart and we love Lord and Miller and, you know, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I'll tell you uh, what's weird about that animation. Rewatching this, and again, of course, knowing that the blurriness was was going to be an issue, I really paid attention to it this time, and I don't know why it's there. It, it's not a forced perspective thing. It's not. It doesn't serve any purpose to me. Like I, I literally just paused it. And I was like, "What is this supposed to be doing right now?" And it's it's literally just blurriness. And it, it doesn't like draw your attention to, you know, the, the other side of the screen. It actually draws you to the blurriness. Mm. And I don't understand why they did that when the rest of the animation is so spectacular. It's a choice, I guess, but I really didn't like that choice. Well, and mm. everything is very intentional about this movie and its animation style, right? Because when but when Miles is still learning, we've, we've talked about this before, but they animated him at half the frame rate. That they animated mm-hmm. the experienced Spider-Man. So the uh, Peter Parker, the Jake Johnson guy, is, is fluid and very sure of himself. Whereas, you know, subconsciously, Miles looks less sure of himself, less fully a superhero. So the blurriness has to have been an intentional choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I've heard some people say it's they're trying to, I guess, mimic pages of a comic book panel. Uh, like some of the I don't see that. I don't but, either. Um, so yeah, maybe we're just old. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't like blurriness. <laughs> I don't like the blurriness. Uh, music is just too me. damn loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is going up against Inception, and I feel like we've talked about Inception so many times because of it being in various brackets and everything. <laughs> I, I worry that we may not have much more to talk about with Inception. Uh, other than how fantastic it is and continues to be, 
um, 10 years old now. Um, and, uh, and, uh, man, this is, is this where I'm trying to think if this is where Nolan became Nolan, like, Mm. like he, he did the prestige, but it wasn't a big hit. The dark, the dark Knight was obviously a huge hit, but it was, it was still, I don't know how much, how much, well, I mean, it obviously owes a lot to Nolan, but Nolan, his own singular vision, big, huge hit, Inception, Memento, of course, obviously in there too, but like this one feels like the thing that Nolan had always wanted to make or... Mm. Was something yeah, that this was something that was on his mind for a really long time, and he finally got to make it. Um, and and now we we've, we've seen movies that are that kind of fit into this kind of genre mold every time he makes movies now. Um, so, uh, but yeah, what are we? What can we say about Inception that hasn't been said? Mm. After mm. all, we've talked about between these two movies. Is it insane that I'm inclined to to rank Interstellar above Inception now? The more I, that I've thought about it, I don't think it. it's a bad a, a bad uh, take actually, because no. um, uh, Interstellar does get better uh, as you watch it. Inception stays the same every time I watch it. It's excellent. It's excellent, but it doesn't get better for me after a certain point, you know what I mean? Like there's just, there's, it seems like there's just more, I don't know if it's the love angle or the heart or the family or whatever it is with interstellar, but it just seems like there's more substance than there is just cerebral stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess what you could say is that there, uh, I guess the plot of inception is why should we care so much about, Killian Murphy and what he does with his dad's company afterwards. Yeah. 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 You know, it's that we don't really have any relationship with Killian Murphy and his dad, you know? So like, so the, the whole, the stakes that the stakes that are involved are not high really for the, you know, just who cares about some random asshole company. It's it's just a, an excuse to show really cool shit. Right. Mm -hmm. And like really cool ideas and really cool visuals. I'm I'm not trying to poke holes in it. Uh, I'm just saying that the more that we've discussed these Nolan movies and stuff like that, like the Inception seems to take more of a backseat to Interstellar. I don't know. It's it's apples and oranges, kind of. But you, you see where I'm going with it, though. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, think I can think of anything new to say about this movie. Um, like I failed Chris's challenge. I can't, (laughs) I can't come up with anything new to say about Inception except that I love it and I want to marry it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and when we get to this point about discussing a movie that has been so thoroughly discussed, it is easy to be like, we're kind of down on it now because there's not anything left to mine out of it. We don't think or whatever. So, uh, but it's a number one seed for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it goes up against Spider Verse. Where are we voting? Inception. Inception. Yeah, I'll be going with Inception as well. Um, it's just I'm and, and and you know what I'm gonna I think the next time this movie comes up I'm gonna watch it again and see if I can mine something new out of it that hasn't been said. It's just yeah. I don't I don't think it's going to happen. But I you know because it's been endlessly philosophized about and endlessly deconstructed and um 
and, and you know, it's one of those movies that it feels like it's stale to even talk about it. And that's unfair to the movie, but we've, we've unanimously sent it on. So, yeah. yep. uh, <laughs> Hey, uh, what, what do you think happens with tenant? Has it been officially moved to next year? Everything's going to be moved that hasn't officially been moved. Um, I just read a headline this morning about three or four other movies that have pushed to 2021 now. Uh, Tenet wasn't one of them, though. But, yeah, I mean... There's no way it's going to be released on demand, right? Somebody, like a, yeah, a movie I, like that, isn't it? Yeah, and somebody's going to release a movie in theaters in July or August and ma- and make a mint. But it's uh, it'll be a risk. Um, yeah. So... Do you think... Feed. Do you think for real someone is going to come out with a movie in July or August, even with the heightened uh, awareness of what's going on out there and they're going to make a mint? Well, I guess what I'm saying is somebody's going to time it right and put out a movie, decide to put out a movie before we know we're through it. Okay. And then it will come out after we're through it and we lift the quarantine and that movie is going to make a mint. Once everybody starts going to the theater again, I'm guessing that might be August. I'm totally guessing. I'm just saying most of the theaters are pushing a full year away just to be safe. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to push it five months and hope that they Mm. can strike it rich. Right. And whatever's out in theaters the first weekend that that the authorities say, get on out there, that movie's going to make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting because uh, if if everything lifts at a certain point, you're going to have uh, movies that normally would have been in the summer are going to come out in like January or something, and everybody's yeah. just going to come out in droves for it. And, <laughs> and like all the sports leagues are going to start right back up at the same time and compete. Oh, with God. Each other yeah. It's, it's going to be, be like Cabin in the Woods, like when the, <laughs> the elevators open. Absolutely insane. Um, Inception moves on. It will go up against the winner of the five seed Spotlight versus the four seed Whiplash. Ooh. And Ooh. Uh, this one I marked as the toughest matchup in the, yeah, uh, I agree. of the day. I agree. Uh, I, I've watched both of these movies recently enough that I didn't have to have to do one of those things where I, you know, came back and watched them again uh, to to have them war with themselves in my head. Uh, but uh, uh, Spotlight again, I when I watched it this most recent time. Uh, I was. I, I think it was even better the 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 second time the, than when I watched it in theaters back in the day. Uh, it was so much better. I just picked up on so many more things the second time around and everything. And it's just the performances are so good and the writing is so good in this the movie's very assured. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, I uh, and I and, and I and I and like we said the last time, it's 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 kind of it's kind of hard to remember that this one best picture uh, because it just doesn't feel like it's one of those movies, but it did. And it, uh, this is, it's Tom McCarthy, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was on the wire Mm -hmm. and he wasn't, he was at one point a journalist, right? I believe he was. Uh, I think that's part of what makes this movie work so well is that even if he wasn't a journalist, at least he played that one on the whole season of the wire as an understanding of how news works. 
because all of those, all that hierarchical stuff in the news meetings, when sometimes Keaton's the biggest boss in the room, sometimes Shriver is, and sometimes it's Mad Men, Slatterly. Um, <laughs> and uh, it all rings very true. Uh, and I think there's an authenticity there that, that, uh, is missing sometimes in other movies. Yeah, I, if if he didn't himself, the writers of The Wire, a lot of the writers of The Wire were Baltimore Sun guys, I believe, yeah. at one point. Um, I can't remember how who had what involvement and you know in that series. Uh, I think maybe Richard Price did. I'm not sure, but um, but yeah. Oh, by the way, and do yourselves a fucking favor and watch that season of the watch any season of The Wire, but watch that. <laughs> Watch that! Uh, watch that one where they do the media and uh, and uh, McNulty is a fucking serial killer. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> That's season five, by the way. Yeah, uh, I tell but- you what. Uh, what kills me about Spotlight is that you know you, you think you've seen all the different speeds that Michael Keaton has. Mm-hmm. Like he's got the Beetlejuice, like manic, manic comic uh, side, and he's got the Batman kind of serious ish. He's got the my life. Side. Yeah, he does. <laughs> but this one, this is a completely different speed for him, I think, because he's like he's even talking in a different register. Mm-hmm. I guess he's like maybe imitating the the actual guy, mm-hmm. but he's got like a lower tone, almost like what Cranston does for Walter White. Like he he drops it down a little bit, and it makes him a little bit more menacing than he normally would be, or authoritative, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that scene where he's uh he's going back to the his alma mater <clears throat> for the sit down to talk about the priest and stuff like that and then all these people show up that uh, he wasn't expecting he he drops it down he's like he's he's interrogating them basically and he's he's got this sort of force to him where it's like man you know these these guys are going to be in some trouble he's he's on to them now mm-hmm. yeah i'm reading here about mccarthy it doesn't look like he ever did any has any kind of news background, but he was raised Catholic, which is super oh. interesting uh, when you think about Spotlight, because that's the other thing about this movie that I wanted to talk about is I was not raised Catholic. I was raised Protestant. And so some of the Catholic stuff in this movie, like, makes a little bit of sense to me, but some of it is is foreign to me, like how tight that community is uh, and how loyal they are to the, the Catholic church itself. Um, and uh, that's a big, important part of this story. Well, yeah, the biggest, uh, the biggest revelation of this story for me watching it, just the, how circular this whole problem was where uh, you would have, uh, you would have this, you know, the priest would molest kids. The kids wouldn't want to say anything about it. Um then when the evidence popped up, the Catholics would want to uh, protect the church. So there was never any anybody who wanted to actually pursue this stuff or else they'd get fought tooth and nail. Uh, uh, and that's why it was so hard to get any kind of evidence out of the whole thing. Um, yeah, she even says, uh, Rachel McAdams even says after that second meeting with Billy Crudup, where she's like, there's no paper trail. Like none of these were ever settled through the court system. It was always a private settlement. Um, 
Yeah. Even it's, it's, even when they were, the, the documents aren't there, right? Yeah, the yeah whole even family when they Gucci were, thing. Like, yeah. All of a sudden, like, you know, uh, once he filed the motion against my motion, now it's public. And yeah. so Ruffalo's like, okay, I can go find those. He's like, no, you can't. That's another thing, too, is is actors that I really like, uh, and this is no knock against them at all, but – Mark Ruffalo and Rachel McAdams are always perfectly good and, and, and really good in what they do and everything, but they are at another level in this one. And there are a lot of times it's subtle things too, uh, but they're at another level in this. And I like them a lot in everything that they do, but this movie in particular, they really brought it. I felt like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ruffalo's performance is like, uh, almost like, uh, in a, in a very different way, like a uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler. Like he's, he he's always like I don't know he's lithe you know what I mean mm-hmm. like he he just it's, he, he embodies like a different body type than he normally does in in movies uh, it, it it's it's hard to explain but it's it's a whole physical characterization that's different from his normal uh, well and normal he represents stuff. he represents the outrage for us right because he has that breakdown at the end where he's like let's publish the fucking story now we need to get these pricks. And his bosses are saying, we need to wait for this element and this element, and we need to do it right. Uh, and he represents us going, ah, this is maddening. Why can't we take mm. them down? And again, the unsung hero-ness of Leah Schreiber's character in this thing. Like, he really, this is another mark. I mean, I keep, I, I'm finding myself appreciating this more and more these days. These actors who come in and do basically what is the thankless role in this and he doesn't get any of that glory it doesn't feel like uh, but he's the one who puts everything into motion and he comes in he's very dull he has no real character at all other than i like doing news and being in charge of the news and Mm -hmm. very soft-spoken but just kind of like you know well hey uh you think this might be something that's good for, <laughs> you know, for uh, for this uh, for this uh, department? And he's, you know, it. And then it's because of the what his vision is that this whole thing gets uncovered in the first place. Yeah. And um and I'm I'm really appreciating roles like this, and and I've I've equated him to Peter Sarsgaard in Shatter's Shattered Glass, the same sort mm-hmm. of deal, uh, there. Um, but um. Uh, it goes up against Whiplash. Um, uh, Whiplash is a man. I, this is another movie at this point. I'm wondering what we can say about it other than I know that the last time we talked about Whiplash, people were talking about uh, they actually had a person say, why don't you bring up the the thing about the relationship between Miles Teller and Paul Reiser, his relationship uh, with with him? And I and I think it does inform a lot of what drives him in this. I think um, mm-hmm. it does. He does see that his, his father was a failed, whatever he wanted to be. And as a teacher now, but even more so, and we'll get into the actual relationship in a minute, but even more so just look at the family dynamic too. One of my favorite scenes in whiplash is when they're at the dinner table and they, they're about to ask, they ask miles Teller what's going on. And he goes, well, I'm first chair at this blah, blah, blah. And it sounds, and and at that point, everybody's about to be like, Oh, great job. Awesome. Whatever. But then his football player brother shows up and Mm. sits down at the table and everybody wants to talk about his football 
uh, career all of a sudden. <laughs> and so before he's even allowed that moment of some sort of uh, recognition in his family, everybody wants to talk about the brother. And so like everybody's and so finally when it gets around to him again and he says, well, I'm first chair at blah, blah, blah. Nobody's interested anymore. And yeah, and it's another part of what drives him during this whole thing that is pretty it's it's not something that's showy in the movie, but it really does sort of underline where his character is going. Well, and I can relate. I'm not a fantastic drummer. Uh, I'm not fantastic at anything, but I can relate to that in that. Uh, and it's not my brother's fault, but he was a very overachiever kind of guy. He got straight A's. So if I got straight A's, it was, well, so what? That's the norm. Uh, and it was, so I can relate to that a little bit of, you know, not necessarily getting the credit you feel like you deserve because somebody else is already getting more. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why older brothers is a sin, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed out that scene. It's It's got a weird stinger to it that I've never really understood. And maybe, maybe you do, Chris. Um, at the end, uh, it, it's where, you know, Miles Teller is telling his brother, like, it's Division Three. It doesn't really matter, that kind of thing. And uh, I forget what the brother says to him, but he's like, come play on our team. Uh, and Miles Teller says, what you will never hear, or four words you'll never hear from the NFL. And then, you know, sick burn and all that yeah. stuff. But then Paul Reiser, his dad, says, or Lincoln Center. Like, he he kind of, like, digs yeah, oh, his son. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, is, is he trying to just – you know, take his legs out from under him or, or is that like a deeper, like come to your senses, boy, like shaking him by the, the shoulders type. Yeah. Of thing, I, I read that more as just a dad keeping the peace. Like, Oh yeah. You know, more like, you know, don't, don't uh, point out the splitter in his eye. If you have a plank in your own eye kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, but there's probably, there might be a deeper meaning there. I don't know. Yeah. It does it, seem it, out of character for him to say that, but I think that is a way of him, leveling the playing field so to speak uh where you guys are no different from one another i i i love you both equally mm. and mm. well yeah and miles tellers miles teller i forget his, his character's name but he's being such a dick man yeah like he's he he goes from it's funny because any of his personal life even his uh you know sometimes he has family moving night with dad and, and that kind of thing uh, but obviously with his girlfriend and with, you know, with with this uh, family dinner, he's such a dick. But then he's so <laughs> submissive uh, during the, the J.K. Simmons stuff. Uh, and but he's a dick to everybody else in the in the orchestra. So I don't know, man, like it, it, the more I watch this, the more I love it. But he's hard to root for, man, because he's mm-hmm. just such a prick. Yeah, yeah, he is. Even one thing that I did watch, by the way, uh, the the one scene uh, in the rehearsal I caught the beginning of this movie uh, when he when uh, J.K. Simmons is auditioning everybody, and he gets to uh, he starts with like the, the woodwinds or whatever, and he gets to saxophone, and he's like, play these bars, and that guy is like, no, and he says, do the same thing. He's like, no. And then he gets to this girl. He's like, you're in the first chair. Let's see if you're in there just because you're cute. And he's like, go ahead. And she plays and he's like, yep, it's because you're cute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I love this movie. Yeah. I love both of these movies and it is the toughest one of this whole thing. I'm going to go ahead and tear off the bandaid guys. Uh, I'm going to go with spotlight on this one. Oh, wow. Hey, you want to know what my pick is, Jeremy? 
so you can have the uh, the the maybe deciding vote. Uh, my, my mind is made up, but it won't, it won't change my mind. But go ahead. As much as I love Whiplash, and I've always talked about how it's one of my favorite movies of all time. In this matchup, I got to go Spotlight. Wow, Spotlight is you also one me, of the best movies. You just robbed me of the chance of knocking out one of your favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> I actually put a lot of thought into this because I, it, it, like you, I, I kind of looked at it and I was like, man, that's going to be like a real, uh, real nipple clamp of a, <laughs> a matchup. <laughs> <laughs> and I really thought about it, and and like Spotlight is qualitatively, I think, just a better movie, top to bottom, so well directed, so well written, so well acted, and it's more uh, important. And not it's that definitely that should, more important. Not that that should always be a criteria, but that was the that was the selling point for me. In fact, this was not a close matchup for me because of that factor. Every time I get done watching Spotlight, I feel like. I need to go do something to make the world better. Uh, when I get done with Whiplash, I'm just like, why did I ever take piano lessons? Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, well, Spotlight is a surprise unanimous winner going through. There we go. Uh, surprise myself. Uh, it's going to go up against Inception, and that's going to be a dogfight. Uh, wow, that's going to be a nipple clamp. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's going to be the biggest nipple clamp there is. It's going to be a cock like rig. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so speaking of which, what's a cock ring for? Dude, do we really have to go here? Uh, Does I think anyone it, know like, off the top of their I head? Don't. I think it extends the length of your pre-orgasmic pleasure. I think it tightens yeah. things up down there in a way that lets you go for longer mm. before you are done. Right. I, I, so, I, I never, know I never thought knew. of it as anything other than more ornament, ornamental type of stuff to put on your... No, I think it goes on... <laughs> I think it goes on under the balls and the shaft. Oh! And oh. so it, it tightens the balls. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> And it's like a tantric enhancement. I've kind of never a deal. read into the cock ring enough, then, because that's uh, that's, well, that's I, I feel like I feel like a cock ring virgin here because I haven't ever heard of that shit. Well, I could be wrong. Maybe. I kind of hope I am now. All right. So all of our all of our syncast listeners, you got a cock ring? Uh, give me comments. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes Frank. Yep. yep. <laughs> or or maybe he oh doesn't god. come. You don't know. Um, oh god. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's all Barrett's fault. It is. That's all Barrett's fault. He asked. <laughs> Moving on to our next matchup, we have the eleven seed, the Intouchables, versus ah. the three seed, the Raid Two. Um, these movies are so similar i make that joke all the time yes um so um yeah i I, this was the one movie that i i rewatched and and it wasn't because i was like you know like i'm really like having to weigh a big decision here or anything it was just that i had not seen it in forever so i wanted to wanted to sort of uh freshen my memory up on this movie and one thing that i had always forgotten about the raid Mm -hmm. too is like the plot of this movie 
Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, there there are so many names and so many, mm. uh, you know, there there's so many things going on that it it does seem sort of incidental to what they're trying to stage in this thing. Uh, mm-hmm. when we, when we first run into Eco Uice, uh, he is, he's, I don't even know if I understood, uh, I guess the, the, the sort of the cop handler guy find like rescues him from some situation where he's, it's, it's the first movie, right? Is it the Isn't first it movie? Right after the first movie. Okay. So yeah. I haven't seen the first movie in forever. So like, yeah, I didn't right even realize that was what that was for. Uh, yeah, it's like right after that enormous crazy fight. Yeah, and uh, and so like so that happens, and then he's like, okay, well, I want you to go in and and get get in good with this guy. Uh, he's in jail right now. It's perfect timing and everything. And so like they start throwing around some names, and I was just like, okay, wait a minute, who's who's Yuko? <laughs> who's 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 uh, Reza? Who's yeah. Rama? Yeah, who's Rama? Yeah, and, and they're all these Rama? like Meet they're all these real short names. So like, yeah. so like, I was like, wait a minute, is he Yuko? Wait a minute, he's he's an undercover <laughs> cop, so maybe he's Yuko. I don't know. And, <laughs> he's Eko. Is Eko Yuko? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or which one's the mole? That's the trouble I have. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. The mole for sure. It's the guy that's on the beach. Um, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, Anyway, um, yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting getting back into this and 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 looking at the plot of it. It's it's uh, it's your your typical sort of other than your typical other than your you know your the fight scenes which are so completely different things. It is your typical Donnie Brasco, The Departed mm-hmm. type of movie. Uh, and uh, and God, it's two and a half hours. I'd forgotten that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a beast. But uh, it doesn't. Uh, did it feel long to you? Though? No, I uh, I actually was. Wa- I watched it for about an hour last night before going to bed, and then I finished it this morning. And uh, the hour and a half was like nothing, mm. um, especially yeah, especially that back half. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the part that just moves on so fast. Uh, once it gets to about the hour and forty five mark, it gets to that two thirty like no time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I was surprised at the, you know, the, the, the plot is very interesting. It's got a lot of like different things going on in that the, you know, uh, Rama is playing like a double undercover guy essentially because, yes. yeah. because he's not only undercover to, to, uh, you know, to find, I, they keep saying he's there. They keep telling him that he's looking for corrupt cops, but it doesn't seem like there's really any direction at all as far as what he's really supposed to do in all of this. I mean, that guy, the handler keeps saying we're looking for corrupt cops, but it's like, I don't think he even really cares what that guy comes up with. It's like, we're just playing a game here. We're just pawns. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so, but, uh, but he, he's, he's not only looking for, you know, that and looking for, uh, for crimes, I guess, uh, with these things, but he's also by the, the, the crime boss himself, uh, look after my son. I want my, I want you yeah. to tell, he's already suspicious of his son, uh, uh, way early on. He feel, I think he f- anticipates this move that he's making, going to another rival family and trying to be hot shit in that other family and everything. And it just so happens to be the family that killed Rama's brother <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the beginning of this. So, um, so what is the, uh, the, the long haired guy? 
the the super the, the super set the guy that was in Force Awakens. Yeah. What is his relationship with Rama? Is he the he's not the handler, is he? No. No. That guy that guy is just an a henchman for the the one crime family. Yeah. Uh and the, he's the father's crime family, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. He's just he's just a guy who goes out and beats a whole bunch of ass and kills people. He sure does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And apparently he's been doing it for at least fifteen years because he has a scene with his wife where his wife is uh he gives money to his wife and his wife is like he's like, Can I see my son? And she's like, Well, you know, that's that's not up to you because you I mean I you you went off and did this, you know, started being a crime guy and we can't let you see your son anymore. And you don't even look recognizable to me anymore. Um, mm. And of course that's a sad, that's a sad scene because right after that, that's when uh, the son uh, pulls all these strings to um, have him killed and, and have oh, is that the nightclub fight. Yeah. The nightclub fight where he just fucking, Oh rules. my God. He, <laughs> he throws all that shit at the people and like, and then and like, there's, I love the part where they pin him up against the bar and he just, he's just throwing whatever he can behind him. Yeah. Uh, so fun, man. So fun. But then of course, by the end of it, he, he, end, he meets the end boss. He's basically, it's like a video game. He gets out in the alley yeah. and there's the, the end boss at the end. He's like, all right, well, this, uh, I'm going to pull out my claws and you're done now. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's the assassin, right? Yeah. Like that's the kitchen yeah. fight guy. Yeah. He's yeah. the yeah. guy who works for uh, the, the rival gang. Yeah. You're not kidding, man. There's a lot to keep up with. Like if you, if you want to watch this anywhere, beyond just the fights like there's a lot to keep up with a lot of names a lot of different dynamics I, and stuff when like they that. they i'm sorry when they bring up that one dude's name is like his name is like barzan or something it's one of the it's an it's the i think it's the it's a head of another crime family it's the head of the family that the guy that the two sons are negotiating with but i don't remember bangin might be bangin i don't know um, anyway, they bring him up and I swear it's the first time I've ever seen that name, uh, like halfway through the movie. And, it, and, <laughs> and, and it was, it's right after Rama, uh, calls his handler and the handler's like, well, your job was never to get that guy. And, and, it, and I think that might be the head of the, I can't remember anymore. There's so many fucking names. Um, there are. And, uh, and so like, I was like, what? And they introduce characters that are awesome. And you're like, wait a minute. How, who are these people in the plot? Uh, <laughs> yeah. when they introduce hammer girl and, <laughs> and baseball bat guy, you're like, <laughs> which is a great scene in and of itself. Uh, hammer oh, yeah. girl oh, on yeah. the subway is fucking great. Yes, <laughs> yep. it is. Um, uh, it's like, whoa, whoa, there's more characters that I'm going to have to keep up with. And it's not anything that's against the movie, really. It, it, I, I really think that, that it's fun that they do this. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. if you're trying to keep up with the plot, it's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. I think it was sort of a reaction to, like, if there's any negative criticism of the first Raid movie, uh, it's that there wasn't much plot. Yeah. And it was simply, right. you know, beating ass for, you know, two hours. And so I think this was sort of a, a way of, uh, is it Gareth Evans? Yeah. yeah. Gareth Evans. But I think that was his response was saying, okay, well, we can give you the same level of fight choreography and badassness and a huge crime family gangster story underneath all of it. Um, 
that's probably why he's never made a third because where do you go from there yeah. But, yeah well and and they set up a thing at the end where you feel like it, it's possible that they could do a raid three because this is this is one of the funniest things ever is after after he's beaten all that ass uh in the in that one place and he's done and he's just he's just exhausted he starts walking out and that whole that japanese gang has shown up because <laughs> they 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 realize what is going on and they want they want to get revenge for it and everything and they get up and then it's like a completely silent thing while the music's playing and everything they and you you get the sense that they ask do you want to come with us do you want to work with us and he says no i'm done and yeah. and but they still leave it like if you wanted to make a raid three, you could get it to where like, you know, I don't know who could talk to this guy anymore and say you need to keep beating ass and ste- is it still being undercover. <laughs> it's definitely not going to be the handler guy. He already said fuck the handler. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I don't know who who he could who he would who would possibly convince him, but. Um, I do think it's really funny though. At the end, that whole gang shows up. At first, you're like, "Oh no, he's yeah, he's no. just he's wasted. He's like he's expended his, his entire energy on this on this crew. Now he's got to go through this one other one, and then but the, it's just these Japanese guys who are who are coming to do the thing that he did by himself. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, if there's any knock that I have against this movie, is that I wish we had gone from the kitchen fight to that scene because that that ending. Uh, with the 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 kid and the other guy and all that stuff is is very anticlimactic after you get the kitchen fight. Yeah, the kitchen fight is the climax for sure, yeah, yeah. dude. The that kitchen fight, we've talked about it a million times on this, but I get getting a chance to watch it again, I I realized like what is so awesome about it is for me, they're going through what is probably a stalemate in fighting each other fist fights and everything and then the claws come out <laughs> and and so at some point he you know uh he gets one of the claws and they're they both have a claw and they're they're sitting there they're trying they're looking for openings and somewhere very matter-of-factly you see uh you see uh you see the one guy, he gets him a couple of times and then he yeah. comes back and you're like, Oh no, he, he slashed him a couple of times. He's down. He's down. Then he comes back. Eco you comes up and gets another couple of slashes in, but they don't make a big deal of it. Like a, a terrible movie that a terrible action movie would show close ups of, Oh yeah. Like, and, 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 yeah. and, and, Oh, he got him. But in this yeah. one, you have to actually sit there and go, Oh, I think he got him. I think he got him. Yeah. And like, yeah. and, and then as it gets more vicious, it's like, Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> Holy fuck. Oh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, what I love. I said this last time we talked about this movie, but what I love about that fight is it really feels like either one of them could win. We yeah. know, we know Rama is probably going to win because he's the hero and that's how these things go. But in terms of how that fight plays out, either one of them could have walked out of that kitchen at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happens that and that's why you say when the Japanese gang shows up, Rama's like, he's all his energy's gone. Like he needed, <laughs> he left everything on the field to beat that guy. That's how equal they were. Yeah. Well, that's hilarious that he had that, you know, that fight would have been amazing just on its own. Like they would be evenly matched and he would be tired afterwards. But this is after 
he's gone through all the shit that he's got to to get to that kitchen, like including yeah. Hammer Girl and Baseball and Boy. Boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, it goes up against the Untouchables, and I still haven't seen this for a while now. It 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 has been recently that I saw it. It was my first time seeing it and everything. Uh, but it now I've had some distance from it. Um, is there is there much we can say about the Untouchables at this point that we haven't said? Well, it also ends with a kitchen fight. It does. That yeah, is evenly yeah. matched. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild. And a, and a it's, Japanese gang show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, the uh, the char- the the actor who plays Driss, the uh, the assistant character, is so dynamic, man. I don't know what his deal is, like how popular he is in France, or if he's done you know a few things in the U.S. You talking whatever, about Omar but- Sy? Yes. What has he done? He did something. Yeah, he he um he's been in a few big movies over here. Um, I'll look him up real quick. But okay. uh, but yeah, he's he's done some stuff. It's just that this is his most recognizable performance. Yeah, he's just he's incredibly dynamic in this movie. That scene where uh, where uh, the uh, <laughs> the Brian Cranston character, the old guy, <laughs> <laughs> the rich guy, is uh, is having his birthday party and he's playing all this classical music and he's he's almost pedantically like exposing Driss to this uh, this music, and then he's like, you know what? put on cool in the gang and he puts on cool in the gang and he gets all the old rich people to, to start dancing. It's yeah. just the, it, like it will give you, it will make your heart just open up. Like it's yeah. just the, the purest joy. There's one part where uh, one of the old rich dudes is actually like really trying to dance and he falls on his ass. <laughs> just, just, he pulls him back up. He's in uh he's in Jurassic world. Um, he's in X-Men days of future past. Uh, but yeah, he's been in some pretty big movies, uh, over here, but yeah, I mean, this one, this one is, is, is big one, but man, it's, it's, I, I don't know what I was expecting when I first watched this. I was, um, uh, I, I, I really wasn't expecting much, even though I'd been told it, it was so mm. good and everything, mm. but the relationship between these two is so real and so touching and, uh, you know, um, it's it's infectious uh, watching this thing because they have differences, but it's not that kind of like I don't know sloppy racial difference type of thing that I think in a, I don't know how the upside did, but I don't know how they they treated this relationship or anything. But mm. it's more about young and old and different backgrounds than it is like color really or anything like that that gets into the to the whole. Sure. Well, I think there's a little bit of. Uh, his family's suspicions uh, oh. about the new employee because of race, sure. but also because of background. Uh, but it, the, the movie definitely transle- transcends uh, a race movie mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of different ways. It's really about friendship and how friendships can form in the unlikeliest of places. And, you know, it's the kind of movie that might make you it's more of a Roma movie than the Raid 2 in terms of it might make you think twice about how you live your life and where you might look for friends or conversations you might engage in with people you might otherwise have thought you had nothing in common mm-hmm. with. I even like the – I mean, it, it seems like uh, – it seems almost like um, a silly movie thing. I even like the selection process that that guy goes through with all the uh, the people who try out for this job. There are so many people who seem qualified, but you can tell that they've got a little bit of uh, underlying, like, I want to get a bunch of money or something mm-hmm. motive out of this. 
And whereas the, whereas he walks in and it's just like, you know, fuck you. I'm not, you know, <laughs> this is my interview. Fuck yeah, you. exactly. And, and, uh, and that's what attracts him to that guy is that he's not yeah. in it for any other reason. And he's not really, he doesn't really want to do the job. Any, he doesn't want to do the job either. That's the problem. Mm. But like, mm-hmm. he at least is honest about what he's, he wants in that scene. Yep. And, um, and, uh, and that's, and I do like the, the idea that he, he, he sees something in him and says, I'm going to, I want this guy to be the, the, the guy. So, um, all right. So what are we going to do with us, with this matchup? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Only Jesus. one of these movies has a, a, a car seat guy. That's that true. Passes a camera. That's true. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh boy well i'll go first i'm going with the raid two <clears throat> yeah i'm totally going with the raid two i love the raid two so much i want to slap <laughs> it on my my body uh repeatedly you want to put, put a cock ring on when you watch yeah, it to well, make it last longer yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it could be three and a half hours and i would still love it yeah uh i will also go the raid two i hate i hate voting against the intouchables twice yeah uh, yeah. which I did when it was up against Black Panther as well. But uh, I feel like The Intouchables is one of those movies that maybe, maybe I need to have a little bit more uh, experience with over time to really, really mm. appreciate it, even though I love it now. Uh, but The Raid 2, even though I hadn't seen it, but like a couple of times, and those were both long time ago. Both of those just every time I watch that, there's a big, huge smile on my face watching the raid too. And it's, 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 it's more in me than the untouchables is. Um, you can't go wrong with either of these movies for sure. No, but, uh, uh, you know, once, once just a, a character study, that's fantastic. It's one of the best character studies that you'll see. Uh, but it's no, it's no raid. Yeah. So the raid two moves on. It will go up against the winner of the seven seed mission impossible ghost protocol and the two Ooh. seed, the Martian. Oh, yeah, right. that's a rough one, man. Yeah. That's this a is a tough one. one. Oh, right in the nipple clamps. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, I don't know where to begin. Um, uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, We always, what we always go back to is the Burj Khalifa sequence, and it goes, and, and like everything that happens after that, the sandstorm, uh, it's, it's, it's one of these, it's, I can't believe that this is the fourth movie in a franchise. I, yeah. I guess in a way it did what sort of what fast and furious did, right? Where it was a sort of a reboot, but it was still part of the series. And they decided to just go this whole sort of new direction with it. And, um, and, uh, and ghost protocols. Excellent. Um, and I'm, and I wonder, uh, I haven't seen Ghost Protocol for a while now. Is it possible that we elevate this movie higher because of that Burj Khalifa sequence? And is everything else around it not as good? Or I mean, not mm. is it is it possibly average up to that point? I haven't seen it. I don't I, think so. I don't think so either. But I haven't seen it in forever either. So like it's it's one of these type of movies where I, I remember that specifically all the time. Anytime Ghost Protocol comes up, that's what that's what enters my head. Um, I think of the the hallway scene yes. with the camera and the screen 
and the, they have to be quiet and Simon Pegg is using the clicker. That is so Incredibles to me. That's like a Brad Bird staple scene. Yeah. Uh, with the humor when he puts his face over it and all of a sudden his <laughs> giant face is on the fucking hallway screen. Um, so I think, I think the Burj Khalifa is the highlight. Um, and the only thing I sometimes wish is that that had somehow been the climax because the ultimate climax is Tom Cruise fighting that guy in an automated parking garage. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is not. It's not boring, but it's nowhere near as thrilling as Tom it's Cruise on the as, side of the tallest building. It's in the not world. as inventive as all the other stuff. And you're right about that uh, that scene where they're in the Kremlin or whatever. That that scene that is something I've always wondered about. I know that there are people out there who are trying to invent that technology, um, and not just for uh not just for stuff like that and especially not right. with a screen the one the, the way they use it here i think right. it's more about wrapping themselves up in it and becoming like like the this year's the invisible man uh yeah uh, it, it kind of has that same sort of quality i heard i don't know how many years ago it was but i've heard of people it trying to make this kind of like camera technology where like it, it oh, yeah. covers them up and they're invisible and shit and that's fucking frightening uh, but yes, it because is. it eventually the technology will be there. You have you have to assume that it is. Um, yep. Well, yeah. Look at Happy's plane and uh, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Right? <laughs> He's got <laughs> <laughs> no, but He's yeah, got but Chris is right. They're actually like MIT and other. I've seen this shit even ten years ago. They were working on like Harry Potter invisibility cloaks, where you basically bend the light using you know cameras and refraction to sort of make an object or person invisible. Um, but I think pretty much all technological advances are frightening at this point. Mm. Like we've gotten all the good use out of most of them. All the, all the ones we have waiting to discover are like deadly and scary and frightening. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, also, I sometimes, I wanted to say uh, two things. I sometimes bag on Mission Impossible 3 for not being as good as people claim it is. And I don't think it is. But, I do think J.J. Abrams deserves credit be- for reviving that franchise because yeah. after two, um, you know, if three hadn't been good or done well, I don't think they would, would get four, five, and six. The other thing is I just read yesterday um, <clears throat> that Brian De Palma was asked about the Mission Impossible movies. And when they got done, Tom Cruise told him, I got an idea for another one. And he was like, why would anyone want to make another one? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, and of course you see now it's money and they make a lot of mm-hmm. it. And I was like, well, yeah, okay. But from, from a story perspective, he said, I never made movies to make money, uh, which I think is pretty fascinating. Statement. Yeah. Uh, Cause he, you know, he felt like that, that story is done. Why would we need to go back there? But the money people, they went back there and they've made a couple billion dollars. Does that, uh, I know this is off topic essentially, but does that first Mission Impossible, does, are, 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 do, do people remember that as the great movie as it should be? Because that movie is, I feel like that movie's great and I, I could be, I don't know, I could be in the minority these days. No, I think the majority of film fans think that movie is great. I think, or film buffs. I think the majority of people that go to the movies today maybe haven't seen it. Yeah, it's uh, possible. I don't know. They know I Mission mean, Impossible for the last three of them. I think people have gone back to it. My son actually really wanted to see it because of the the latter day ones because he loved them so much. He wanted to go back to the original. He actually really likes two, which I don't understand. Yeah. But uh, you know, I mean, there's there's certain things. If you are a John Woo style fan, 
there are things to like about uh, Mission Impossible 2, including Do Gray stuff. Yes. But the uh, but the the first one, yeah, I, I think Jeremy's right. Like, I think film fans maybe even consider that the best of the franchise because of the De Palma connection. Because it it is the spyiest one mm-hmm. of all of these. The rest well, of the them only are more one, action, right? It's the only one that has any kind of dark undertones to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you watch Ghost Protocol, you're not you're not concerned about those people's lives, like. <laughs> Even even the guy from Lost that dies, you're not worried about yeah. that guy. He's just light on. This is cotton candy. You watch the first Mission Impossible, and it's it, it's a whole it's a thriller. Um, and uh, I think it's fantastic. So I hope you're not in the minority. Yeah, uh, that, the the camera work is. I mean, it's 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 quintessential De Palma stuff. But mm-hmm. but uh, it, it, it's one of those movies that every time I, I it's this was you know this is a summer blockbuster. You just don't see movies directed like this that were summer blockbusters, especially not in the 90s um, yeah 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 that's and true. uh and so like it's just uh it's something that i hope if if there are people out there who haven't seen that one anyway we're, we're talking about ghost protocol uh <laughs> and ghost protocol is awesome yes if, it is. If, if i could ding this movie for anything it would be yeah the fist fight with the, the middle middle-aged man at the end yeah. but also there's a big plot point where they rely on anil kapoor really being into Paula Patton. Like, of course, yes, she's beautiful and everything, but like he's surrounded by this palace of beige. <laughs> yeah. Of like uh, attractive people. And they're like, you're going to go in there and be the most attractive. Right. And like, she pulls it <laughs> you off. See, you know what? That is one thing about almost every spy movie these days that I've been watching. It, like in Kingsman, it, I mean, you could always play that off as a joke or whatever. But like in Kingsman, they they learn how to be attractive, essentially. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. so like there's a there's even a competition between, you know, uh, Taron Edgerton and the other girl to get this other girl in bed. And and yeah. it's like, how do you not how do you know that that girl won't like she's not going to like either of them? How do you not? How do you yeah, know? Yeah. Is it is it because they they have the magical key or are they like slipping roofies in their in their drink or something? Because like I don't I don't understand why like and they make it just seem like well I'm just so charming I went to charm school I'll be able to date this yeah. person I'll be able to get this person in bed in in in, in an hour well that you know I don't get it. Um, <laughs> um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol goes up against The Martian. Mm. and uh yeah this is a tough matchup so tough so tough there's Ooh. there's a lot of people in the martian there are a lot of people there, <laughs> there are a lot of people god damn it mm-hmm. um i mean can you like if if you asked the, the 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 normal person they'd be like is Kristen wig in the martian they'd be like no what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, she, she's, she's the she's one fantastic. that stands out the most um in terms and she's great in the movie she's yeah, fine yeah yeah um but yeah, she's the one that I was like, well, that's a curveball. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I've actually watched The Martian um twice this week. Uh both times late at night while drinking wine. Um and I I've, I've got the extended edition. Nice. And lately I only watched the extended edition. Um uh, it's one of my favorite extended editions ever because it adds so very little. There's like I think two new scenes, but most of most of the rest of the new footage is just Five more seconds lingering on a shot in this scene. Five more seconds lingering on a shot of this scene. 
uh, just little more details that help for me sell that isolation of uh, Watney on Mars. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I love it. I haven't found a flaw. Like, I'm not going to say, I wish the ending was not a car, uh, car garage fight between two 50-year-old <laughs> men, because the ending of this movie is rad. Uh, <clears throat> and so I may be tipping my hand a little bit. People probably already guessed that I'm probably going to m- vote the Martian. Uh, but it's just, it's so... It's a great idea, which came from Andy Weir in a great book, but it's so expertly made. I just, I, I struggle to find flaws in it at all. And like the biggest mm. flaw is that it's largely harmless, right? Whereas Apollo 13 really happened. This is fictional. Uh, so I can watch Apollo 13 and be like, wow, the power of humanity. I watch, you know, The Martian and I'm like, wow, the potential future power of humanity. Uh, (laughs) That's the only knock, and that's a pretty light knock. As I have said probably hundreds of times on this podcast, the the appeal for the Martian to me is just the fact that the guy thinks about the problem, and we hear those thoughts, and yes, it's complex, but like not too complex that you can't understand what he's going for. And, and of course, Matt Damon is so, so good at doing his, the thing that he does. Um, it just, it, dra- it, it just involves you on a way, in a way. And it's not like, it's not like the stuff he's thinking of is something that's just out of left field. Like, yes, it's the, it's kind of there to advance the plot, the, a lot of the things he thinks of. But they are based in real things like they are they're not they're not just they don't seem like they just he you know, he just dream these things up uh, on the fly, which is what a lot of movies would do where he'd be like, oh, I don't know what to do here. Let's I don't know. Let's try this. And it works. And uh, and, and, and in this case, so many problems that he comes up with is that, look, I have to do this. It may not work, but if I don't do this. I'm going to die. And that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate thing that powers every decision that he makes in the movie. And, uh, it's the type of stuff that poker players, maybe not dying, but poker players always have to deal with when they're like trying to figure out certain decisions. Does, yes, does this decision might be wrong, but if I don't do it, I'm going to die. So like I'm, or I'm going to get knocked out of this tournament or whatever. It's, it's that type of thinking in there, of course, on a higher, much higher level. But, um, but that's the reason why I love it so much. The fact that Matt Damon is so great in it, uh, just adds to the whole, the fun that you have him considering the problems and everything. Some people were frustrated that such a pretty boy got that role when the character's probably not written to be so Mm -hmm. pretty, but, in terms of that 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 nasty biting sarcasm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Damon is absolutely perfect to play that character. Uh, and of course, the, the movie had come out before I read the book, so when I was reading the book, I just pictured mm-hmm. Matt Damon anyway. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's probably more like an Edward Snowden looking type in mm-hmm. the book, um, whereas you know Matt Damon is fucking Matt yeah, Damon. yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Should have been yeah, played he, by Joseph Gordon yeah, Levitt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, as many times as you've seen this, Jeremy, mm. do you still get like the 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 jollies, the the tingly feeling when the Starman sequence starts? Not the Starman sequence. Well, oh, the Starman, the, the Starman is, sequence kills me. That's when they're uh, slingshotting around Earth. Yeah, mm. yeah, and that's a great sequence. Uh, but no, for me, it's it's that ending. I get goosebumps every time she goes. I 
I got him. And yeah. it cuts right to Kate Mara in the ship. And she's like, can't mm. fucking believe the joy she's <laughs> feeling. We did it. God, I still get goosebumps. And again, I think it's just expertly made. It's expertly yeah. edited. And Ridley just knew how to cut from one shot in space to, you know, Times Square, back to NASA, back to, I mean, it's all done intentionally to build that feeling. And yeah, I've seen it 60 times now. And I still get those goosebumps. Ridley Scott, obviously, uh, deserves a lot of credit for how this movie has turned out, but it's so different from so many other Ridley Scott movies that it yeah. still feels like you should still give the lion's share of the credit to Andy Weir in this. And I know we've interviewed or Drew yeah, Goddard. Yeah. And I know we've interviewed Andy Weir and everything. And it seems like there's bias there, but when you actually look at the movies that like Ridley Scott obviously has a legendary career here, but look at all the movies this guy makes it's so different from everything he makes. Like it's got way more humor mm-hmm. than most Ridley Scott movies do. Um, mm-hmm. It's just made in a completely different spirit. Uh, I would have never guessed Ridley Scott made this movie. Never. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, you're right. Drew Goddard also uh, deserves a lot of credit on this. I think that's part of it. You know, when he makes uh, Prometheus or the, Prometheus sequel, I forgot the name of. Um, <laughs> Covenant. <laughs> Alien Covenant. It? Covenant. So he has a lot more control over where those stories are going, and maybe he shouldn't. Mm. Uh, whereas with <laughs> The Martian, you know, there were two great writers who had control over the, where that story was, and then he was handed a script to film. And, you know, his sci-fi chops, that's the only place in The Martian I can see uh, Ridley's work is you know, the suits and the space shots. and But even those are brighter than like his own yeah. movies there's the, mm-hmm. like a there's a optimism to the to the coloring of this film unlike alien or prometheus uh it's, it's it is very interesting that this was a ridley yeah. Scott joint. you know what i keep hearing is boss to take a term from the 80s uh is yep. kingdom of heaven's <laughs> director's cut i keep hearing that that really? movie is fucking amazing director the orlando blue yes, thing? director's cut of it when wow. i what is it about? The Crusades. Yeah, I it came out in like oh, it came right. out. It was it was like a it was like a May summer tentpole movie that came out in like two thousand maybe ninety nine two thousand two thousand one. I can't remember what year it came out. Um, and I watched it, and I I think I damn near fell asleep in it. Um, <laughs> I can't remember. I've seen it. I I can't remember. The trailer is awesome, it. by the way. If you ever want to see the trailer, the trailer is badass. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but like ever since that director's cut came out, I've heard people say to me and I've seen it on lists, something that I'm going to have to end up watching probably at some point. Oh, I'm sure you own it, I right? think I do, but I'm, I have to check. <laughs> I have to check on that. Yeah. I remember really, really, really not. Yeah. That same either. here. But if, a, but if a director's cut can turn it around, yeah. I'll give it a look. Uh, all right. So, uh, what are we going to pick here between Ghost Protocol and The Martian? Martian. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> The Martian's just a behemoth, mm-hmm. man. It's so, it's so yeah. great. I think, I think collectively, it may be the movie that the three of us have seen the most yeah. times. <laughs> like, not just the Jeremy. Yeah. Thank you. Right. I, I've personally seen it probably twenty-five times without exaggerating. 
Uh, and it's oh, yeah, so it is. Uh, it's been seven days since I ran out of. <laughs> <laughs> I will now crush up a Viking and, and eat it with this potato because I can't. <laughs> um, I will also be picking the Martian, which means we unanimously picked all of them. Uh, that was sort of. I actually even thought Spotlight might do it, even though that was sort of an upset unanimous win. Um, I, 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 I kind of had a feeling that even Barrett would be going for spotlight there. And that's why I didn't watch as many as usual on this one. Uh, I felt like I had a good feel for what was going to win and, uh, they all Mm. did. They all won. The Martian now goes against the raid two, and that'll be a tough one. Son of a, yeah, these are all, these are all like contenders, like spotlight could literally win the entire thing and I wouldn't be. Shot. Right. Inception could too. You know, the Martian could, uh, and and even the raid too. I mean, chance, yeah, man. they all have a have a really good chance. Um, so uh, we're gonna go on to do uh, what re- recommends and warns now. Totes amaze balls. There, right. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. So after okay, so about two years ago. Our good friend, uh, fellow sin writer, uh, Aaron Dicer, he recommended two movies to me that he thought I would like because both he knows my personality and he knows I love Eminem and Eight Mile. The first was Blind Spotting, which mm. I watched uh, probably about a year ago and then have talked about nonstop ever since. Um, <clears throat> the other one was a movie called Bodied. And this was produced by Eminem. It's a YouTube original. And I fucking loved it hmm um basic premise without spoilers uh this nerdy white kid is doing uh, a thesis he's in grad school he's doing a thesis on the use of the n-word in rap battles and how it differs from regular culture because there's a thing about rap battles where you're sort of supposed to be insulting the other person Hmm. and so Some things are allowed that regular conversation would not allow. So he goes to a rap battle, takes his girlfriend, who couldn't care less, and he's just geeking out about it because he's just a fanboy. And one of his favorite battle rappers, Ben Grimm, ends up winning this battle, and he goes up to him afterwards and ends up striking up a conversation. Uh, And they walk out to the parking lot, and some asshole challenges Ben Grimm to a duel, a rap battle. He's like, I'm going to let one of my boys take you. Here, white boy, come over here. So the white kid who's doing a dissertation has now been entered into an informal parking lot battle rap by Ben Grimm, this big rapper guy. And he smokes the other dude. Oh, um, the, the nerdy white guy does? The nerdy white kid smokes him. Huh. And from there, it's about him going on to become a battle rapper and experience what he can and can't get away with. His first official battle is against a Korean guy. And the, and this is the funniest scene in the whole fucking movie. This movie is way funnier than I'm making it sound. It's as <laughs> much comedy as it is drama. But the Korean guy just attacks our main character, uh, whose name is Adam, uh, for being white. Uh, and, like, <laughs> and the guy who's hosting the rap battle is like this extreme version of Dave Chappelle doing... Prince or somebody, I don't know. Because like the Korean guy does something about you're so white, yada yada. There's a more extreme version of that. And and he he makes fun of Adam for being white. And then the rap battle has host goes, ha ha, white people. 
And then there's another line where he makes fun of him for being rich and you know, having a butler or whatever. And the guy goes, ha! Ah, <laughs> uh, cracking my ass up. So then it's Adam's turn. And he has prepared a few bars, like a lot of rap battlers do. And they're not terrible, but he's so proud of them as he delivers. And he's like, such and such and such and such. And looks around and no one is reacting. Huh. And so then he decides, he gets these little thought bubbles that show up, you know, go personal or not. And he chooses to go personal and suddenly just starts tearing into this guy with the most racist, like Korean jabs ever. Like the Korean guy had said, you're like Paris Hilton. You probably have a dog in your bag. Adam says, I do have a dog in my bag. I'm bringing you takeout. Oh. Like he just, and he wins and the crowd goes crazy. And the Korean guy comes up to him afterwards and says, that's how you do racial sensitivity in a battle rap. At least you knew I was Korean. Most people just call me Chinese. And so <laughs> oh, he's, so he's the, actually giving him respect for this? He gives him respect. They become pals. Huh. Um, and it goes on and on. And at the very end, uh, basically, there's a rap battle set up between Adam and Ben Grimm, protege and master. This would be like Eminem battling Dr. Dre before Eminem was famous. Um and I don't want to say anything more. The movie is maybe 50% rap battles, and they're all every bit as awesome as 8 Mile. Um, some of the really? wordplay is incredible. And then, like, th there are two points where the movie takes a left turn from comedy into mm -hmm. sudden drama, where I, I think I tweeted out, at first I was like, ha, 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 but then I was like, damn. And then I was like, ha, 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 and mm. damn. Um, mm. The movie has a lot to say about what, is racist and what isn't racist and what's appropriation and what isn't appropriation. Um, <clears throat> there's even a great bit where two rappers that like each other decide to belittle themselves in a battle instead of making fun of the other one. So the, the Asian guy makes fun of his opponent as though she were Asian and she makes fun of him as uh -huh. though he were female. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's super clever uh, really funny. It's two hours long. Uh, I will be watching it at least five or ten more times in my life, uh, and it is a hard recommend. It is also a hard R rating. Uh, there's a little bit of nudity, but the, the language is off the charts. It's like a Tarantino film, um, and I can't believe YouTube produced it, uh, but uh, I I loved it. Uh, that's my strong. This was a uh, movie... What is it? I guess it's a couple years ago when we were doing a spring or fall preview uh, with one of the movies that was scheduled to come out. And we looked for trailers for it and couldn't find anything that was that really it might have been one. Of the, actually, I think the only thing that was up there might have been either a fake trailer or one of those really teaser trailers where it was just doesn't tell you anything yeah. about it. And I was surprised to hear that it was so good afterwards too, because when you see, when you see something that's supposed to come out, then you don't hear much about it. And then it's like, Oh, it was a YouTube movie. I was like, Oh, okay. Well then it probably sucked then. Um, and yeah. so, was it re released theatrically? I don't, I don't believe so. I believe it was only released through the YouTube red subscription program. If you had that, you could watch this movie and now it's on home video. It probably had a limited release somewhere, but it's got a 90 on rotten tomatoes. Like, huh? I'm certainly not on an Island and telling you, but this mm. is a good movie. Huh? Um, and so, uh, and there's there, uh, I want to say more, but I feel like recently I've been overselling movies. I like, and then letting you guys down. So I <laughs> fucking loved it. If you ever watch it, I would love to hear what you think. Well, you didn't oversell uh blind spotting. Uh, like I said, I actually like that movie more 
than I expected to. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I'll totally check this out. So this is yeah. on like on demand. You can pay three ninety nine to watch it on YouTube. Sign up for a YouTube subscription, watch it for free, or you can buy it on Amazon, Vudu, Google Play. So yeah, it's. I should have okay. just said yes. It's on demand. Okay. <laughs> but I nice. also have it. I can bring it to you in two months whenever we see each other again. I would encourage you to watch it before that. All right. All right. Um, I've been uh, I've been watching a bunch of baseball movies. Ah. And one of them that I had never seen before uh, was Little Big League. Oh, let's see which one is this. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to <laughs> see if you guys can see if you can see if you guys can guess it. What, what happens? Okay. Uh, it's not Little rookie of the year, league. so now I'm lost. Uh, who, who's the main character in this? The, okay. the actor. Okay, so it's it's Luke Edwards, who who you remember from the Wizard. Oh, um, oh. He's, the, he's the kid who's the Super Mario savant. When yeah, uh, they, yeah, um, uh, Luke Edwards. But there's there are a lot of people in this. <laughs> what year was uh, this? Ninety four. Oh, okay. Uh, which is it's it's amazing i think they i think three or four baseball movies came out in 1994 and that's the year they had the work stoppage <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice um but uh but little big league is luke edwards and his grandfather is jason robards and uh he jason robards owns the minnesota twins and uh uh robards uh character dies leaves the team to his grandson who's this uh who knows a lot about baseball like knows all sorts of his- historical things the rules everything i know i've seen um, this movie i saw this movie in theaters oh you did yes that's insane okay. sorry um uh so he leaves in the team uh the the team is coached by um uh dennis farina uh-huh. and and Dennis Farina is a hard ass and obviously he doesn't have like very, he was hired to be a hard ass and to like get into the heads of the players and everything, but he does it a little bit too much. And, uh, it's, it's not too lit. They're not, they're not playing well. They have, uh, they have a team that they think is pretty good, but they're not playing well. Uh, Farina, he tells, uh, so Luke Edwards gets, uh, gets the, inherits this team and suddenly he's trying to tell Dennis Farina, like, and you know, he's like what, 12 or 13 years old or something like that. Uh, he tries to tell Dennis Farina how, how to do his job and Farina's not having it, obviously. And Luke Edwards fires him and says, I'm going to be the manager now. <laughs> I'm the captain now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so your typical, like bullshit baseball premise, right? Rookie of the year had the sort of the same deal where, you know, Thomas Ian Nicholas suddenly was gifted this arm that could throw a hundred miles an hour and he, yeah. he pitches for the Cubs and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those type of things where it's like a ridiculous premise, whatever. But this movie was way better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, really? wow. I, I, I just, I, I don't know what it is, especially uh, in the knowledge of baseball. Uh, it's, it's very good. Uh, a lot of baseball movies just do not get that right. Um, and a lot of times the baseball is incidental, even in a movie like major league, the baseball is incidental a lot of times to what else is going on screen. I would rewatch that as well. And I was just like, 
How is this team supposed to be good? I don't <laughs> understand how this game, even in little big league, I don't really understand, but there's a little bit more element to it where it feels like, hey, okay, I can, I can kind of see them being good. Timothy Busfield plays uh, first baseman. Ah, in this, yeah, I remember. Uh, that. This is a, actually a really good performance for Timothy Busfield. Uh, had not, he's usually sort of as a he's sort of a side character or secondary character or whatever. He's got more of a main part in this one. Uh, but what? Uh, but I, what I really liked about it was Luke Edwards and and his friends, the friend, the people who play the friends in this. Some of the most hilarious shit in this movie is from what his friends are saying, and there's a whole conversation where they're out at the mall and they, they start getting into this conversation where it's like, do you think Batman goes to drive through and gets Taco Bell and stuff like that? <laughs> and, 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 and somebody's like, of course, Batman doesn't go to Taco Bell and McDonald's and stuff like, of course he doesn't do that. So, well, how do you know? I mean, like surely he, he gets a craving every once in a while. And then, and then like they, they get to it. And one of the kids is like, man, I wouldn't want to be the, the, the car that's behind the Batmobile. You see all those flames that come out <laughs> and the conversations in that. Reminded me a lot of Stand By Me, oh. and and you know Stand By Me had that sort of that casual pop culture reference sort of discussion stuff going on, and I was like, I was like, all right, who did this? Now I don't know. I, I, the the guy who directed Little Big League, this was his only feature. Wow. Um. Uh. But he produced a lion's share of Rob Reiner movies. Hmm. Um. Uh, including Stand By Me, but oh, there wow. are no there are no writers that were part of Stand By Me on this. Uh, it, it's it's just a coincidence in a way, but like the, I don't know I don't know if he found writers who were just generally like the people hmm. who did Stand By Me, but that reminded me so much of that. Anyway, a movie that gets baseball right has some really good discussion in it. That type of thing is a lot, lot funnier than I thought it would be. This was a total surprise, and I'm gonna I'll, I'll soft recommend it. I know that baseball isn't a lot of people's bags, um, but I thought it, I had a lot I had a lot of fun with it. I really didn't think I was going to. Mm. It's mm. good that you're watching baseball movies now that there's no actual baseball going right. on, so you've got to get your fix somehow, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so in this uh, self isolation period, I've done a lot of Netflix. Uh, I've read, I've discovered actually Parks and Recreation really for the first time, by the way. Oh, uh, really? I, I had seen episodes before. I really enjoyed them much like 30 Rock. I've just never like gotten into it. Uh, but, uh, so that's, that's been a nice, uh, surprise to me. But what I want to pretty much recommend a little bit of a wreck of warn is a movie called Francis Ha. Okay. Mm. Francis Ha mm. is. Bombach. Uh, Yes, Noah Baumbach, uh, a 2012 uh, movie, and it's Greta Gerwig, uh, who went on to direct uh, Lady Bird uh, I've in seen the this. titular role. Have you seen this? I've seen this. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is a an extremely Baumbachian uh, story. Just uh, except except it's a woman in place of uh, the, uh, the 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 guy. Typically, this is like Greenberg is very much like this: a guy who can't get out of his own way, like an aging hipster, basically uh, who who can't grow up. Arrested Development. So Greta Gerwig is a twenty seven year old ballet dancer, but she 
is not good at ballet. She's good at choreography, but she's not good at ballet, but she still thinks that she can make it. So she's in this New York company uh, kind of as an apprentice, even though she's too old to be an apprentice, really does uh, hasn't experienced the world, hasn't experienced adulthood. She's got this very codependent relationship with with her girlfriend, with her girl who is a friend there. They make the joke that they're a lesbian couple that doesn't have sex because the 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 friend, Sophie, she actually has a boyfriend that she's kind of getting into. And Francis is just coming off of a relationship. Uh, and so the story is essentially Sophie beginning to grow up a little bit and spread her wings. Uh, and then Francis basically has to start making her way in the world in New York uh, in the early parts of the last decade. Uh, and so she moves in with Adam Driver, fairly early Adam Driver performance here, and one of his friends. Uh, he She bounces around basically all over the place. At one point, it's it's funny. She goes back to her family in Sacramento, which is mm. very reminiscent of Lady Bird, since that's where Greta Gerwig is from. Uh, of course, uh, Noah Baumbach and uh, Greta Gerwig have had some sort of relationship. I don't know if they were married uh, or just dating for a while. Well, it looks like they both co-wrote this movie, too. So she may have written Sacramento in there because of her own experiences. I was thinking that, yeah. Uh, but the the thing about it, and it's, it's really, really... Good. Uh, it's, it, you know, like I say, Bombeck is, is right up my alley. I had never seen this actually before. I'd seen basically his entire catalog. This is maybe his most famous movie uh, besides Marriage mm. Story now. Uh, but uh, the, the thing, I went back and watched a little bit of Kicking and Screaming uh, in his 96, 95 uh, movie. Uh, and what I noticed is that Bombeck, early Bombeck stuff is very scripted. It's one person talking, one person talking, one person talking. There's no crosstalk. There's no, uh, there's no like overlapping dialogue or anything like that. Eventually, uh, I think he gets better at this. Like uh, Myrat stories and Marriage Story in particular, I think has some of the most natural dialogue I've ever seen. Uh, but this can feel a little bit stilted, and it's funny. It's hilarious, but it's but it's a little bit stilted. But there is some some really good comedy. There's uh, at the the beginning when Greta Gerwig is talking about like her the failure of her relationship. She's like, you know, even when we were having sex, he would always want to finish. The only way he could finish was from behind. And she was like, I don't understand that because all the important stuff is facing away from him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's dialogue like that that's really really funny. Uh, Adam Driver's character is kind of like the proto-hipster version of what he'll play uh, later on with uh, While We're Young, uh, which I talked about not too long ago. Josh Hamilton from 8th grade, the dad from 8th grade, uh, mm. is in yeah. here for a brief moment. There's a hilarious interlude where <clears throat> Francis decides she's going to go to Paris because Josh Hamilton's character has an apartment over there. And she literally goes for, I think, uh, two days. Like she's like, I'm going to get out to Paris over the weekend, and she like because of the jet lag, she sleeps through most of it. <laughs> it's it, it is very very funny. The only thing that that uh, I think that did bother me was a how much of an asshole she is. I mean, this is just a a it's hard to root for this character until the very end, basically, uh, and even then, you know, it's like eh, did, did she earn what she got? Um, and and B was that dialogue. Once you see how good he is 
with stuff like Marriage Story, especially with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson in those roles, um, and and Myrowitz stories and the later stuff, it's 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 more stark how stilted a little bit this dialogue is, but it's still a recommend. You, you you're not going to have a bad time watching this. Did you Ooh. like it, Jeremy? Uh, it was so long ago. I just know that I, the black and white, when I looked it up, I was like, oh, black and white. I remember I saw, I saw this movie. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, but I don't remember it, anything about it. Did you see it, Chris? I have not seen it. Um, it's a movie that has come up several times over the years that I just haven't gotten around to. I remember when it came out, actually. Um, you know what's uh, what's funny about this is that you when in Lady Bird, I think uh, – Jeremy mentioned she's kind of a dick too, right? Like yep. uh, the, the the main character is, but you mm-hmm. still kind of fall in love with her. At least I did. Yeah. With Francis Ha, I think the point is that you're not supposed to fall in love with her. Like mm. I think ah. she's, she's, it's like Greenberg. Greenberg is such a loathsome character mm-hmm. that it's really, really hard to, to root for him. With this one as adorable and as wonderful and as smart and as beautiful as Greta Gerwig is, she makes it hard to love her, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's still a good watch. It's still a recommend for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When well, we recommended three movies, do we want to do some more or do we want to go to questions? Uh, I actually have a few, but I would like to give a straight up warn. And I only have one of those. Okay. Um, I watched this last night. It's a movie called Flash of Genius. Um, oh. <clears throat> this is Greg Kinnear. Yeah. Playing the guy that invented the intermittent windshield wiper, but then was robbed of his invention by Ford Motor Company and then sued them. Um, lost his whole family over his obsession and eventually wins. And that it is maybe one of the most boring movies I've seen in my entire it life. It looked horribly boring. Why did you watch this? Because it was the only thing on with actors I recognized that I hadn't seen. And it's about windshield wipers. <laughs> I'm telling you, in this era of the, in this quarantine era, I've got seven movies here that are just as obscure that I could have that I've watched that I could have recommend just because they were on uh, future episodes. I'll talk about before the devil knows you're dead with Philip Phil Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. I'll talk about a movie called uh, They That Follow with uh, Caitlin Deaver from Booksmart. Um, if it's on and it's recent and it has actors I recognize and I've never seen it now more than ever, I'm watching that shit. So Greg Kinnear, uh, is it Lauren Graham, the girl from Gilmore Girls, yep. the mom? Yeah. Uh, she plays his wife and Dermot Mulrooney plays his friend and almost, uh, you'll recognize a few other names. Um, it's just boredom in a movie. Like somebody said, let's make this into a movie and nobody said no. And so it happened. Uh, but <laughs> there's, it's not thrilling when he wins. It's not sad when his wife leaves him. Um, it's oh, God. I'm, I wonder if the guy himself didn't fund the movie because <laughs> otherwise I don't see why an investor would, would bank on this. Uh, it is, it, it is every bit as boring as it sounds. And I wish I had watched it, but I'm glad I did so that I can steer you away from it. Right okay. here is better in a lot of go watch Dear God before you watch this movie. No. Oh, that's fucking it's, harsh. It's that's, harsh because it needs to be. That's harsh. I um I'm I'm the counter to you on this movie, by the way. Oh, you liked it? I really liked it. Oh, I've, son wow. of a bitch. I've seen this movie a couple of times, even. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Um and uh I find that whole kind of shit fascinating, man. <laughs> 
enough. I find I, I find I find stupid shit like that always fascinates me. Like the guy who invented the windshield wiper sounds stupid. I love it. Um, um, so uh, there you go, folks. I, I I enjoyed it highly uh, because um, uh, I don't know. It just uh, it just appealed to me on a certain level that I can't I can't express. Uh, there was you're a probably moment. completely right about it being boring. It's a seven out of ten on IMDb, sixty on Rotten Tomatoes. I think we're both right in that. Yeah, uh, you either like or hate this movie. There's this moment in the court case where Ford has claimed with an expert witness that the intermittent windshield wiper isn't an invention. Because he used fuses, uh, circulators, and some other kind of tool. And basically, these tools already existed. So what he created out of them can't be considered a new invention. And it's it wants so bad to be a few good men here. Yeah. But, of course, part of the problem is the character represents himself in court. And so he, he walks up and he basically reads the opening to A Tale of Two Cities by Dickens. And basically says, did all these words in this book exist before Dickens wrote the book? Uh, (laughs) And the expert is ultimately forced to agree, you know, yes, this is a new work created out of existing tools. But it just doesn't have that pop like in A Few Good Men where Kathy does the thing about show me where the mess hall is in this rule book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But it's trying to have the same pop. The The one moment that made me laugh is when he has to when he has to take the stand. And so he stands outside the stand and asks a question as the lawyer. Then he runs around and gets in the witness chair and answers it. Then he stands up and gets back and runs to the front. Uh, but I was mostly bored and, you know, I had some wine. Maybe that was part of it. I don't know. It's it probably exactly <laughs> as you described it. Uh, for me, I, I don't know. It was just one of those things where um, that type of thing, I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'll be fascinated about it. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, this is a a terrible comparison, but the informant is oh, about yeah. is about fucking cornstarch. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, obviously they do things that liven that movie up, um, that uh you know, that makes it uh, transcendent. And the informant, of course, is way better than Flash of Genius, but um but you know, I don't know, it's just uh, it's stuff like that where people are fighting against uh, a huge corporation with all the money and all the resources and to crush your dreams and the little guy like uh, finding way to, to, of course that guy, the real guy, I think it took like 10 years of his life. It did. It did. And it, it, it is a true story. And they even Ford came and offered him millions uh, at his house. And he said, as long as it comes with a written apology that we can publish in the newspaper, that they knowingly stole my invention and they wouldn't, they wouldn't agree to <laughs> right. it. So he kept fighting in court and eventually won. Yeah. Probably like, like, the movie says he won $10 million. That's enough to fund a movie about yourself, right? Yeah, probably so. <laughs> Half of it goes to Greg Kinnear. Yeah. 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 Um, dear God, my God, that's such a horrible insult. <laughs> that was like one of his first leading roles. Man. Yeah, it was. was I think he was, he was on like the soup, wasn't he? Yeah, it was the only, yeah. he was on the soup. Um, was it talk soup first and then the I think soup? It was talk soup first, and yeah. then yeah, and then yeah, he 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 made that movie. Oh my God, that movie's fucking awful. Um, oh, yeah. uh, okay, so I like I said, I've been watching baseball movies. Um, one that I re that I rewatched I had not seen since it came out 
that is a major classic to people, I believe, who are just slightly younger than me, is The Sandlot. Mm. Um, I remember watching The Sandlot and enjoying it, but then later on in life, I realized people were quoting this movie yep. like it was their Pulp Fiction or something. Mm-hmm. And um and like I was like man I like the Sandlot but I didn't know it was you know I rewatched it and I really really loved it um yeah it's uh it's so good um I uh I knew it was but I think this second time around and being much older now I really love this movie now um hmm. um but yeah the it's it there are some things about it that I'm like, eh, cause it, I think it, I think it loses its main character essentially midway through it. Does. It. it does. Um, it starts off with him narrating the whole thing and saying like, this is the summer when blah, blah, blah. Top Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez is his name, which is a bunch of bullshit. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like when Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez taught me baseball and everything. And, um, and so, like, uh, it shows this kid who's just moved. He his his mom is Karen Allen. Karen Allen is just recently remarried to Dennis Leary, and um, and uh, she wants this nerdy kid of hers to go out and like actually make friends and even get in trouble. She says, "Don't get in too much trouble, but get into some trouble." Uh, but he befriends these baseball players for some reason even though he has no talent for playing baseball whatsoever, but he just wants to be included. There's eight, there's eight people, eight, eight kids all playing this perpetual baseball game, essentially. And he just kind of walks in on the field and joins them, but he doesn't have any ability whatsoever. He can't catch the ball. He can't throw the ball, nothing. But because Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez is such an awesome dude, he takes him (laughs) under his wing and, um, and defends him with all the other kids and everything. And, um, and then at some point in this, the kid is accepted. Uh, he starts to learn how to catch the ball and throw the ball and everything. And when they, they, anytime they hit a ball over the fence, it goes into this junkyard and they're scared of this dog that they call the beast. (laughs) And, um, and they they think and they the, the there's a guy in there who tells this awesome story and this is probably the most famous part of the whole movie tells this awesome story about how this junkyard dog came to be and everything and and like yeah, the 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 guy the guy who owned the junkyard bought this dog to 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 uh fend off uh, uh intruders or something but the dog was eating like eating it was like thieves were coming in and the dog was eating the thieves and there were 150 something thieves that got killed and eaten and like uh the police came by and they said well you're gonna have to you're gonna have to lock up this dog and the junkyard guy's like like how long and he's like forever this is before drunk history where like you had somebody saying something and then you had another person another actor sort of mouthing (laughs) the uh the words and everything and uh so it's like forever forever um but yeah so they lose a ball they've lost many balls over this fence over the year over the past couple years and main character kid decides to go home and pick up a ball that was signed by Babe Ruth 
uh, to the Dennis Leary character and uh, and to use that ball because he doesn't know who Babe Ruth is. He's heard of Sultan of Swat. He's heard of Great Bambino. He doesn't know who Babe Ruth is. So he thinks Babe Ruth is like a woman or something that signed this <laughs> baseball for his dad. Doesn't know how valuable the ball probably is. And when he gets up to bat, he has his moment in the sun. He hits a home run with the Babe Ruth ball. And it goes over this fence. And so for a good chunk of this movie, it's them trying to figure out how to get the ball back because they know that Dennis Leary is going to go on a demolition man rant if, <laughs> if, uh, if, if he doesn't get that ball back. And so there's a lot of like inventive stuff on like how they try to get the ball back. A lot of inventive stuff on what these kids perspectives of this dog actually is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. I, I really enjoyed how they did that because um, it's easy to get like some really vicious, horrible dog and make that the the main character, the the main the dog that they're scared of. But here, it's a basic dog, but they are imagining it as much bigger than it really is. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the the movie's just fun all the way throughout. Um, it's just been all forever since I've seen it, and I was. Uh, I was amazed to see how good it was. So the Sandlot. Yeah, I um, I have always uh, gotten a little bit of Stand By Me vibes from this movie. Yeah. Um, both in terms of maybe the era they're set in, as well as the, the coming of age and, and the kids being kids and um, <clears throat> warped perspective of adult life. Yeah. Um, I love it. I've always loved that James Earl Jones is in two of my favorite baseball movies ever, this and Field of Dreams. Yeah. And uh, – I choose to believe James Earl Jones just loves baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that dog is a is a mastiff, like an English mastiff, or it's, I think it's a a big enough dog. But they're portraying it in their minds like the size of a fucking horse. Yeah, like with, it's like, clippers and yeah, and uh, yeah. I haven't seen it in ages, uh, but I've seen it several times, and I, I loved it. Yeah, you remember when uh, James Earl Jones uh, dictated the national anthem at a World Series game one time? Hmm. Do I don't. I don't remember that at all. It sounds brought, awesome. Uh, it was okay. So they bring out James Earl Jones and to uh, to speak the national anthem instead of sing, obviously, because he's got this grand voice. And then it gets to say does that star spangled. So like the the big thing. Oh, say does that star spangled banner yet wave? And he goes, Oh, say can does that no no oh, oh. Line. i'm like you came here for one reason man you flubbed the line hey hey i, I look i look at as i got an extra word out of james earl jones there you go it's and at least it wasn't carl lewis right right <laughs> you can find it on youtube matter of fact i want to uh i've got a quick warn uh that's really a surprise to no one but i don't know if any of you have seen this a second time this is the first time I saw it a second time. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Have you guys yeah. seen this more than once? I've seen it twice, but only because I saw it in theaters and then I saw it as the for the Sins video. Same. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, my uh, son decided, hey, I'm going to be in charge of movie night and I want Crystal Skull. And I was like, man, I remember that movie being just absolute rotten garbage. Mm-hmm. And but then I looked it up and it's got, you know, like seven seventy one percent of Rotten Tomatoes, higher than average uh, IMDb score. So I was like, maybe I was too hard on this movie when I first saw it. And I was not hard enough on this movie yeah, when yeah, I first yep. saw it. Uh, this movie is just the... I, 
I, we've talked about how Spielberg basically, I guess, just doesn't care anymore. Like he's just he's doing whatever he wants to, whenever he wants to. But the fact that he recycles this character for a third for a fourth time um, in two thousand eight and doesn't do anything new with it. Like it, it, it brings back another Karen Allen movie. Yeah. Brings back Karen Allen. It's a greatest hits of a movie with nothing new to add. The fact that he added the, uh, alien thing is hot garbage, man. It, It does nothing to it except muddle the plot. Uh, I, 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 I'll read you my, my notes as I went through this movie <laughs> as I was watching it. You wrote uh, notes. I wrote notes because I was like, well, I want to make sure like to, to jot it down if there was something that I liked. And all I have is what's going on here. This is like a greatest hits album that is self-indulgent, fast, then slow. Then finally, I hate this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I worry a lot about this West Side Story that he's making specifically because of that motorcycle uh, jets and sharks diner scene in crystal skull where it just seemed really ham handed and caricature. And I wonder if even the idea to remake West side story didn't come out of directing that scene. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You may be right. It's funny because like the best parts of Raiders of the lost Ark were the reality of it, right? He's a pulp uh, character. Uh, but but he's based in reality, and then he gets into these fantastical positions, right? And the, the he he can get out of them practically, at least, right? By thinking or stuff like that. The whole nuke fridge thing is the most absurd thing I think I've ever seen in a major motion picture. Because it it, it makes absolutely no sense. There's a nuke that goes off like maybe five miles away from him. He crawls into the lead fridge gets thrown down like you know uh, 50 yards down the the thing yeah then immediately comes out to observe the uh, mushroom cloud yeah you know, i'm sure it, like, it, but his face doesn't melt off i don't understand i can't I remember understand, i don't remember who did it. it i think it's a youtube video it might even be mythbusters for all i know but they're talking about uh how like i think first off the just getting thrown the way he does would have killed yeah. him, but yes, the radiate the radiation from the from the blast would have gotten him. There, That's he, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah like yeah, immediately. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you 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 come out. Yeah, you can observe the cloud all you want to, but the radiation is there. Um, yeah. You know, you may have not gotten exploded, but you know the, the that, that's it's going to get you one way or another, but. Um, but yeah, it is the most, it is probably one of the most absurd things that's happened in the last, I don't know. Like there's not, I mean, yeah, not to I'll, mention I'll the, 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 uh, the crusaders, the, the actual like uh, last crusade fantastical bits will happen. I'll buy that dude reaches into a hum, nom, shabam, uh, chest and pulls out a heart that for some reason makes sense to me, but a nuke fridge does not. Actually, I'm more offended by the multiple gopher reaction shots than I am the fridge itself. God, that was so bad. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like the, one of the cheesiest fucking, it's like, God, I fucking hate those gophers, man. Yeah. Like when I, I, when I was watching the movie, that was the moment where I went, Spielberg, what are you doing? I what know, is man. This? this is not you. I, uh, I, I saw, I think it was, might have been Red Letter Media or somebody like that was talking about how. Uh, you know, they, I think they watched the 
making of of this movie and they were some of the interviews that the cast were giving about this and karen allen said something like you know very unironically was saying you know you know uh when i first met steven he was just like this kid he was like making these movies he was you know excited and everything now he's old and he's got his own kids and all that he didn't say old (laughs) but just said now he's much older and he's got his own kids and everything and there's a sort of an uh the the point that they were making was the fact that it just seems like that kid has been sort of punched out of him on some of these movies and he doesn't have that same sort of uh you know gumption to go into a movie and and make it like a kid uh like you know i guess not i mean how do you screw up ready player one yeah ready player one was he did oh my god he and i don't in addition to him not being the best director for that movie um just the fact that uh, yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be able to screw it up that badly, but yeah, yeah, there are people who yeah. love it. So what do I, what do I know? Look, the book is perfect, but it's it's a lot more fun than the movie itself. Yeah, I agree. The movie's not concerned about any of the details. It's just literally the 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 pomp mm-hmm. is all you want. Yeah, and I got no time for that. Did yeah, you I don't even care about the circumstance. Just the pomp. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see that movie, Jeremy? Ready, Ready Player, Player One. Yeah. I started it three times and stopped it inside thirty minutes every single time. <laughs> I'm done. I don't. I can't. It, I can't connect to it's that. It's too at all. much. It's just too much. It's it's like, yeah. hey, I've got a lot of money. Let's spend it on references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really expensive. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. You want to do some questions? Let's do some. Questions. Let's do some questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I am listening. Oh, I like this one. I just rewatched Knives Out last night and liked it even more than I did when I saw it in theaters. I agree. That movie gets better every time that you watch it. Um, I thought it was a great update to the, quote, whodunit genre, uh, which I thought had been exhausted by this point. My question is, what is a classic film genre that you would like to see reimagined in a modern context, and who would you hire to direct the movie? I like this question. That's a good question. And it's interesting because... The guy says, I, I thought the whodunit had been exhausted uh, before now. And I don't know really what, what the the questioner means by that. But it certainly hasn't been around for a while. Like in the 80s, you had Clue and you had Without a Clue and you had like uh, Young Sherlock Holmes and you had like like a lot of these these mysteries and Agatha Christie adaptations and things like that. And he's very right that Knives Out really kind of came out of nowhere uh, to reinvigorate this whole genre, and hopefully it'll spawn a few, uh, you know, uh, similar similar things, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you guys? Think? Yeah. So um, during the prep and everything, Jeremy said uh, parody movies, and I'll give that to Chris if he wants it. So I'll go ahead and take parody movies. <laughs> um, um, yeah, uh, I feel like the parody movie is something that lost its way, and it it lost it before the Friedberg Seltzer. Uh, crew came in and started making the the movie movies um it actually lost its way like somewhere in the 90s uh where when you when you had movies like the naked gun and hot shots that were good examples of mm-hmm. these of these movies that came out 
you then got a lot of imitators from either people who were sort of related to the Zucker brothers or, or somewhat loosely related. So you had stuff like fatal instinct, which was supposed to be a basic instinct kind of, uh, uh, parody. It wasn't very good. Uh, spy hard, which was confused as to whether it wanted to be a James Bond parody or a die hard parody. It was hard to Mm. really know what it was. Um, uh, wrongfully accused. Of course, Leslie Nielsen was in a lot of these. Um, uh, but, uh, a lot of these movies came out and they, they, they didn't get the idea that there was, there's supposed to be a lot of different kinds of jokes in, in the movies that made airplane and their naked gun and top secret and all these movies classics. Uh, there are a lot of different kinds of jokes that you can do. And the thing that the Zucker brothers always did with some of these movies is that they would even play on some conventions with like some real movie knowledge, like some real technical movie knowledge. The The scene where Robert Stack is uh, looking at himself in the mirror and then Robert Stack walks out of the mirror, quote unquote. <laughs> and uh, and in uh, Top Secret, where there's this there's this phone in the foreground and you, and the guy goes over and picks it up and it really is that big. And <laughs> and uh, they they had an eye for these things and just a knowledge and just a uh, general they they it was it was apparent that they had studied comedy they knew that there were different kinds of jokes there were different things that they could try obviously the zuckers jerry zucker went on to do like more s- serious films uh and uh, and and dave zucker wasn't really around much uh after that did he do ghost Jerry Zucker did ghost and he did, and he did, and he did first night. Um, and (laughs) yeah, is that the Richard Gere? Yeah. Yeah. Julia Ormond. Richard Gere Gere is Lancelot. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then, and it was a whole love triangle thing where, yeah, like, uh, Sean Connery was pissed off that, uh, that uh, Guinevere was in love with Lancelot and, <laughs> and she claimed that her mind was greater than her heart. So she would go with him mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Go. But uh, so yeah, the Zucker, like David Zucker ended up directing, I think one of the scary movies, like scary movie four, maybe one of those. Oh, yeah. uh, and he did basketball, which is something that I, I have a soft spot for. Um mm-hmm. But even he didn't really have, I mean, he wasn't contributing much to the, to the genre anymore. And that's why Friedberg and Seltzer came in and they started making these, you know, basically it's the one joke premise where, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it is again, it's a bunch of references. Um, it's just a bunch of references over and over again. So yeah, to have somebody to come in and infuse that. And we kind of got that with walk hard. Uh, the, the movie wasn't. Yeah. The movie didn't um didn't was not a hit at all. I think it like tanked in fact. It was so poorly attended. Uh it has gotten a huge following since, but uh Walk Hard is 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 about as modern as those type of things get uh for parody movies. And and I would like to see somebody like Jake Caston who did that or mm. um or um somebody else that I'm, oh Adam McKay to do uh, a parody movie. Although I think McKay now has sort of found his new zone that he wants to be in for a while. And who knows how long that'll be, but 
Um, but I would like to see somebody like that get into the parody movie and give us something that's thought out again, not just, Mm -hmm. Oh, here's, uh, let's here's a good time for a a punked, uh, a punked reference. Let's have somebody who looks like (laughs) Ashton Kutcher show up and do a punked reference. And all, a lot of you out there are old enough that you don't even know wh- what fucking punk is. And that's the point. Like, you don't even know these fucking <laughs> things that they were making fun of in these movies. So uh, make something that's a little bit more timeless, a little bit more thought into the jokes. And yes, uh, I would love. Let me um, let me piggyback on that with my answer. Is that OK, Barrett? Yeah, man. Um, I would like to see a return of the Bing Crosby, Bob Hope road movie. Hmm. Um, oh, I don't nice. know if you guys have ever seen these. Yeah, yeah. Um, the plot almost never matters. It's nope. very thin. It's just them getting into hijinks, fish out of water. There's usually a romance. There's usually some songs. But why I'm piggybacking this with yours is that each of the road movies was a light satire or parody of existing movie tropes at the time, like Arabian Night movies or uh, wilderness adventure movies or high seas comedy movies each of the road movies set out to sort of ape another movie or type of movie that hollywood was cranking out at the time uh and they made them for over 20 years man they made seven of these things they were going to make an another one the year crosby died mm. in the 70s oh, really? um, and because of my mother's love for musicals and specifically being crosby's voice you know i was exposed to holiday inn and white christmas and then of course the road movies growing up so there's a there's a nostalgic the road like the Vigo Mortensen, uh, no, the road. No, God, the road movies. God, <laughs> dumbass. Dark when you were like young. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that you could find uh, uh, you could find two actors who play well off each other, like Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling and the Nice Guys. Yeah, and send them off on a series of fish out of water adventures, and each one could make fun of a current kind of like one could make fun of the Fast and Furious movies, and one could make fun of. Uh, Noah Baumbach movies. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Francis Ha? More like Francis (laughs) Na. Anyway, that is the type of movie that I don't think they're making anymore that I would like to see come back. So there you go. Well, I'm going to piggyback off of yours. Oh, shit. We have a triple piggyback. (laughs) Otherwise known as a human city. Yeah, that's right. Or is it a double? It's a double Uh, piggyback. Typically, they would uh, they would work in like a Bing Crosby musical number in those road movies, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And and usually it's him singing, and then Bob Hope kind of like you know, speaking yeah. his part, scatting. Right? Yeah, it's basically scatting. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, since La La Land came out, I don't think I've seen you know any quote imitators that are that classic musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to see that come back. I would love for Jamie and Chazelle to come back and do, you know, a couple more of those because it's so expertly done uh, that, uh, you know, it, it brings you back to like a, a simpler time, basically. And I yeah. I think this would be a nice time to go back to a simpler time. Yeah, the, the modern musicals we get are just film versions of stage shows, right? They are. Like, yeah. uh, Yesterday like, uh, is one of them. Well, and I was even thinking – you know, like, fuck, I can't think of anything. Oh, right well, like Phantom Cats of the Opera. Like, yeah, 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 Cats. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> or you get something 
you know, really left field, like a Boz Lerman film. Um, but that classic musical, that's why I like about La La Land is it made me think of, you know, uh, Singing in the Rain and, and yeah. that era of films. And, and he obviously has his finger on the pulse of those movies. I'm with you. I would love to see him. He does. And, and he takes it. Yeah. He takes it seriously. Like he's, he understands what those, how those worked back in the day. Like the Baz Luhrmann stuff is like, I'm going to make a derivative off of this. And like, right. you know, uh, stuff like Chicago is just like you were saying, very straightforward, you know, film adaptation. So yeah, I think, uh, I think La La Land was a unique situation that, uh, could be studied to to not replicate, but you get that same feeling. Uh, but you have to take that that subject matter kind of quote seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we just did a show. We did a podcast right, right there, buddy. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. Next week we will be doing the uh, two rounds in the uh, in the second round. The two uh, bra- the two parts of the bracket, the South and the West, that are still left. So we'll be doing two oh. next week. Man, there's some crazy ass matches. Yes, uh, coming up. Yes, I'm looking at some that I, I, I they're breaking my. Brain yeah, up. no kidding. Uh, but uh, we're gonna be doing that uh, next week. Um, keep going to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. Uh, we're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter. We're on SoundCloud. We're also on Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to our Reddit page and find the link on the right side. Or you can go to the Facebook page and private message me, and I'll give you a link there. But that is going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott, Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasends.com. The aloe pit, and there's a bunch of bottles. Shit, fucking bottles! God damn it! Um, <laughs> that's right. That's where I reckon he's the guy that uh, eats the nuke, right? I, I man, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I, I couldn't tell you. He's the one that. So, uh, so yes, ask, he's the guy anything. who eats the nuke. I have no idea. <laughs> Everybody knows what a cock ring is. A cock ring is. A cock ring is. Everybody knows what a cock ring is all through the day. Who wants to know what a cock ring is? A cock ring is. A cock ring is. Who wants to know what a cock ring is? A cock ring is. Hey, did you think Connie Nielsen was doing an Irish accent in that movie? Not really. Oh, you didn't? I thought no. she was doing Irish. I guess she was doing like her native Denmarkian. Yeah, I think whatever. she's. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't feel that. I thought. I thought actually. I didn't really consider the different nationalities married to each other thing at all. I didn't even realize that was going on in this. Yeah. In this thing, I wasn't even paying attention to that part of it. But she she sounded Scandinavian, so I was I, I was just like, all right. That sounds like something that's probably her native tongue. So now we have talked to somebody who directed somebody that was in The Devil's Advocate. Yep. And like that makes me like turgid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Indeed. Is that even is that even a synonym for hard? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> hey.
<laughs> anyway, uh, which I, think it's, like... I think it's in the uh, I think it's in the <laughs> romance bestsellers tool shed for synonyms. <laughs> he was turgid. He was turgid. Yeah. He put I his was... turgid his turgid member into her quivering flesh. A quivering mass of love pudding. That's right. The uh, the dude in Naked Gun thirty three and a third. <laughs> he shoved his purple headed warrior. His purple headed warrior. I'm back. Na 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 na. Under your skin like a splinter. I'm in a rusting. The bus thinks it's rustling and festing in your kids' ears and nesting. <laughs> you know a lot of Eminem lyrics, right? Like you were saying, you were you were uh, brushing up on Superman, but mm-hmm. like. You already know a lot of the lyrics because a lot of those, like I know the song very well, and I know the uh, "Forgot About Dre" chorus, but yeah. like I don't really know a whole lot, and I know all of "Lose Yourself." I don't know a whole lot of like Eminem raps. I know a good chunk. I know, I know way more of Stan than I wish I did because I'm not a big <laughs> fan of that song. Um, but yeah, I know a good seventy percent of most of the most of the lyrics, at least anything yeah. that was on the radio. Um, but I'm trying to learn more because <laughs> I, I want to be like him, especially after we talk about my recommend. <laughs> oh, 